to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Thanks very much for being with us today on Maritime AgCast. Goddard Manning Fiazar, Darlene McEachern, and Ashley McDonald from Dalhousie University's Agricultural Campus. Goddard's research is mainly focused on feed efficiency, greenhouse gas emissions, and fitness traits in livestock using innovative techniques such as nutrition, genetics, and genomics, and machine learning. Goddard aims to optimize the profitability of the livestock industry in a sustainable approach through interdisciplinary research projects. Goddard has a high motivation to engage with industry partners to better understand their issues. Jolene wears many hats in the regional industry. She, along with her husband, Lockie, and three children, own and operate a dairy farm in Burt, which they purchased in 2013 through a non-family business transfer. Jolene has been involved in agriculture and rural development her entire life and has spent the last 15 years working on the Dalhousie Agricultural Campus in multiple roles, including adult education, student entrepreneurship, and now in the Office of Research. Her current role as strategy specialist enables her to investigate promising opportunities for the region and what role Dalhousie can play in supporting success. A longtime advocate for research and development, Jolene believes the intersection of the province's resource sectors will contribute greatly to new ideas and sustainability, but that there is much more work to do to increase collaboration between multiple stakeholders. Ashley McDonald is a PhD student at Dalhousie Faculty of Agriculture. Her research area is in agricultural business with a particular interest in sustainability and data-driven decision-making. Ashley's master research was focused on consumer and retail food waste in Nova Scotia. For her PhD research, she is working with the New Brunswick Department of Agriculture, exploring how small-scale dairy farms can be successful. Jolene Goddard, Ashley, thanks very much for being with us at Maritime AgCast today. Good morning, Brad. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, Brad, for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Same. Echo all those sentiments. <laughs> thanks very much. So we have a, within the livestock industry, have a, a fairly good working relationship with Dalhousie Factory of Agriculture and have done some research and KTT stuff over the past decade, at least that I've been around. So Jolene, maybe we'll start with you. Can you explain exactly what your role is within the faculty and the research uh, office there? Sure can. Thanks, Brad. So sometimes it's difficult to explain to people what I do. So maybe I'll start with why I do it, if that's okay. So my background is that I'm a grad of the AC, as we affectionately still call it. I won't tell you what year because that'll age me, but I, um, my husband and I met here and um, got married shortly after. And uh, about 10 years ago, we bought a dairy farm. And so the two of us and our three kids run that dairy farm. And I've been working on the campus since around that same time, I think slightly before. And so the reason why, you know, people will ask, you have a lot on your plate, what, you know, this seems like a lot to work full time and farm. And, and the reason why I do that is because I truly believe in the resources that are on this campus to help industry. I really think, you know, when you drive by, you don't, you don't really understand the depth of what's happening on this campus. And I think, you know, what people have to realize is that we have hundreds of people between this campus and other faculties at Dow, the main university in Halifax that are interested and engaged and passionate about agriculture and food. And so, you know, it, I have felt like it was important for me as a producer to, to, to come here and do what I could to try and to bridge those relationships between industry and academia. And so I, I spent some time working in 
continuing education and then went on to um, stand up cultivate or entrepreneurship program. And my last role was actually specifically about that working in the office of industry liaison and innovation, which is now um, called OSHI. And what I did for um, four years in that role was really work one on one with researchers to build those relationships and to gain funding opportunities and to clarify and and manage contracts with industry partners. And so I learned so much in that role and, you know, about the challenges of trying to fulfill what's required in scholarship and, and research for faculty members, you know, what makes them tick and what they need for their, you know, for their roles. And then also trying to use their knowledge to make a difference in industry and, and how we can kind of do that together and and that's no easy task so I think you know that's really what we're going to be chatting about today but that's kind of my raison d'etre. Thanks thanks very much Jolene. Ashley how about you can you explain your role within the faculty? Sure I have a few all sort of mismatched together but my main role is I'm a PhD student within the business and social science department And within that, I also work as the research coordinator for a research team in that department called ASSESS, which stands for Agricultural Sustainability Studies for Economic and Social Success. And a lot of what we do is trying to connect with different industry groups and look at how we can leverage some of the really sciencey things that are happening in the world of agriculture and in the research that's going on, how we can translate that out into, we call it like actionable information that can be really utilized by our end producers or consumers or retailers, you know, depending on, on who we're working towards and trying to identify ways that we can really leverage that those success factors in a way that can encapsulate sort of all of the sustainability work we're doing across um, our environmental, economic, and social measures. Excellent. Over to you, Goddard, as uh, one of the newer faculty members and uh, one that we've had the great opportunity to work with a little bit over the last year or so. Yeah, Brad, basically, as you mentioned, I'm the faculty at uh, Dell AC, and I joined Dell back in 2020. So then during the COVID time, it's a little, it's a little bit hard to get connected with uh, industry people, but you are the one of those first people that I met, and I really appreciate the opportunity. So then my role at Dell is about the teaching and doing research, and as hired as a dairy sustainable system specialist, then later on, I realized that here we don't have just a dairy. So then there are many other, other species. So then I called myself like the livestock system specialist, sustainable system specialist. So then in this role, I propose research in the area of the sustainability, but focused on the feed efficiency, greenhouse gas emission, health and longevity traits. So then I do have a different tools in my toolbox, which includes genetics, genomics, nutrition and machine learning. So then trying to use all of those techniques to bring profitability to the industry at the same time having a concern about the environment and sustainability concern. So then I do teach two courses, one of which is the uh, beef production and the other one is the ecology of milk production. Basically, in the ecology of the milk production, I mainly discuss about the sustainability concept for many students. So then I believe that 
students need to be get educated uh, uh, and be prepared for the uh, daily conversation, which sustainability concept and environmental concept is one of those hot topics that the students need to be prepared for it. And in my other role, I so I'm a co-founder for, for a company, it's called iClassifier. And this is something that I established. And the reason is I would like to bring technology to the industry because we see that the technologies advance in different fields, mainly in the human related fields. So then I'm trying to kind of to bring that technology to industry. And what this one will be about uh, using automation procedure to do the classification practice for their industry. And I'm hoping that sometime later in 2023, producer will see the product in their farm and adopt this technology. That's all for now. And uh, as I said, I'm really interested to get more involved with industry because the research project that I'm trying to define is mainly to get benefit for the industry. Thanks, Goddard. Anybody that's listened to our podcast previously knows that we do obviously do a lot of work in the beef industry and We've actually been focusing on things like feed efficiency, mostly for economic reasons in the past, uh, but definitely recognize the importance of feed efficient animals, better nutrition as we look forward and try to mitigate greenhouse gas uh, emissions and try to reduce our, our carbon footprint. And actually, it's great. I always like having, I'm an economist by trade, so anybody that's interested in better decision making uh, is, I always hold close to my my heart. So I'm looking forward to our chat over the next half an hour or so. I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a, a diversion from our original schedule here, because you both mentioned sustainability and environmental sustainability, economic sustainability, and social sustainability in in producing food for our friends and neighbors. I, I guess my real question here is, you know, you folks are are probably have been leading this charge a lot longer than sustainability has been a buzzword over the last three or four years. So can you maybe just touch on how your research interests or programs have been really refined as we look forward, particularly to some of our uh, environmental sustainability targets uh, within Nova Scotia and Canada over the next couple of years or next 10 years, really? I wasn't sure if maybe Goddard wanted to take the lead on that, but I can start. Sustainability is something that I have honestly become more passionate about the deeper I get into my studies and my research in agriculture, because for me, it did seem like it was just a buzzword and it was focused quite heavily on the environmental impact, which of course is a huge factor. But when we look at it from a systems perspective, which is really where I like to come at things from looking at the whole system so that it has you know, truly encapsulates all of the pieces because one of the reasons why I love working in agriculture is how many moving pieces there are and how complex and frustratingly uh, complex it can be. But in terms of sustainability, looking at it from a systems perspective and thinking, where are the costs? Where are we giving? Where are we taking? And how we can find that balance in the system is is really important. So in our research, we look not only for, you know, what the environmental measures are and what the, the targets are for the industry in terms of mitigation, but also how that can then be translated into financial numbers, because we know, you know, agriculture is a lot of things, but in the end of the day, it is also a business. And we need to make sure we're hitting financial benchmarks so that we can have longevity in these 
businesses. So taking those environmental measures and trying to translate that into something that we can understand financially or economically without discounting that the social benefit also has significant value. And that includes, you know, the the benefit to the local community, but also the benefit that the individual farmers get from their profession and from the lifestyle of of farming itself and how that can play into what that overall sustainability looks like. So then uh, basically just I'm acquiring Ashley's concept then, as you mentioned, uh, Brad, like uh, when I started back in 2009 at the University of Alberta as a PhD student, I started to work on the feed efficiency mainly because of the cost related uh, issues. So then later on, I continued my research uh, in my PDF program as a postdoctoral researcher doing feed efficiency concept on the beef cattle. Then later on, we realized that, oh my God, there are some other component coming in to, to play a role, one of which was methane emission. Then we shifted our research program, mainly focused on the methane emission. And we were the first group basically imported machines from USA to do the methane measurement on farm, on pasture. So then, you know, like, it's really hard to measure methane from beef animals. So then we measured them over uh, 1,000 animals on pasture and using different systems. But the point is, as you mentioned, just it's kind of navigating the direction as we go over. Then later on, uh, when I get a role as a faculty member at Dell, I realized that sustainability is not just about the concept of the methane and feed efficiency. Basically, each action that we take in order to efficiently use our resources, it's considered as a sustainability concept. And just to remind that sustainability has a three main pillars or sectors, which includes environment, uh, profit, people, and uh, planet. So I'm basically, or so then what does it mean that each pieces that we are, each action that we are taking, we need to kind of consider these three pieces. So then adopting of each technology and or any management strategy, basically, we could say that it's uh, if it's aligned with these three concepts, so then we are working toward the sustainability. For example, right now, one of the projects that I do have is about the adding kelp to the diet of the beef and dairy animals. So then it's a nutrition approach. But at the same time, uh, we can see that there's a benefit for the environment. So then we can clean the, the shores with the harvesting these kelp. And also at the same time, we can improve the feed efficiency and reduce methane emissions. So then we are bringing these three components to the, the concept of the sustainability. And I, I see like the more research focused on the system approach to take to consider all of these components. And the other point is, uh, since uh, sustainability has a component of the profitability, as, as the time that I started here, I do have a really good collaboration with Ashley's supervisor, Dr. Chris Hart, so then, and Ashley and Chris bringing these economic analysis concepts to each of the projects that I'm, I'm leading or co-leading. I actually think that's probably one of the biggest things I've seen in probably the last 15 or 16 years that I've been working in the industry is when we first started, we, you know, we really focused on a a single piece of information and trying to solve a problem. And the fact that now we're looking at whole farm management, whole industry development in our research programs means that somebody can take a little bit of something out of each project and implement it on their farm or within the industry to make an improvement as improving the greater good versus solving a single issue 
which could actually precipitate an additional problem. Atlantic Beef School will discuss herd retention and replenishment with guest lecturer Sean McGrath on November 19th, 2022. For full details, visit maritimebeef.ca forward slash events. Second annual sheep industry conference will occur on November 25th and 26th in Newburgh. Make sure you check the Sheep Producers Association for information. The Atlantic Fire Mechanization Show will be held in Moncton at the Coliseum from December 1st to 3rd. For more information, please visit farmechshow.com. Maritime Beef Testing Society will hold its 50th annual breeding stock sale on April 1st, 2023. For updates on the auction, visit their website regular at maritimebeeftestation.ca. Feeder sales will occur through the fall on select Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Please check AtlanticStockyards.com for a full sale schedule and booking information. In programs, the Nova Scotia cattle producers have two programs available for 2022, the Nova Scotia Genetic Improvement Program and the Nova Scotia Soil Pasture and Forage Management Program. Both programs have an application deadline of November 30th. Additional information can be found at nscattle.ca. There are many Nova Scotia programs open for 2022, such as the Cattle and Sheep Industry Development Program, the Wildlife Mitigation Program. For a complete list of programs, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. The runs of cattle producers have multiple programs available, including the Beef Herd Renewal and Improvement Program, the Beef Rotational Grazing Initiative, and many more. For information on all programs, please visit gnb.ca forward slash agriculture. I don't know, Jolene, if you have any comments about, about that approach. I mean, as a farmer, how do you think that that has changed the way that you look at research and innovation and knowledge and tech transfer now versus the way we did research even 10 or 12 years ago? Yeah, that's kind of the crux of it, isn't it? Like I, the new, the new responsibility that I have in the past year is to actually try to engage with multiple partners to create larger projects. And so I think that that position has been created because of the need to be more holistic in how we approach things. And to me, it's exciting because what it says and especially for Atlantic Canada, and we'll be releasing a new strategy in the near future around some of our plans for this campus and, and you know, what we're, what we're going to prioritize in the next five years. Um, and one of the things we've really come to understand is that the situation in Atlantic Canada that, that we used to maybe think was a disadvantage is actually an advantage. And so we always thought, you know, we're small, we're diverse, you know, when we stand up at, at national conferences against, you know, huge grain farmers in the West or massive dairy farmers, and, and here we are, you know, milking 100 cows as an average or, you know, having diverse production systems, we always kind of felt that, oh, well, how could we even, you know, compete, but as I've traveled around the country and participated in some programming like Outstanding Young Farmer. Atlanta Canada does really well because of that diversity and because we we take we have to do things differently here I think that's what's going to in the end be our competitive advantage so when you're looking at something like sustainability you know you don't have to dig too far in the research to see that agroecological approaches diverse production systems the mix of animal and cropping is what's going to be more sustainable in the fight against climate change. And so when we look at research projects, I think it's it's going to be, you know, a better result that we can kind of come in with a holistic lens and say, how can we blend these production systems and make them a more economically efficient and more sustainable, and then teach others 
you know, to do what we've kind of been doing for a long time. And so bringing, you know, someone like Ashley's team and blending them with Goddard's team, it kind of validates the efforts for the producer, because we're not just saying you need to change your practice because this is what the science says. We're saying you, you need to change your practice because this is what the science says, but this is how you change your practice. And this is maybe a few ways you can do that, that will not break the bank, right? Because we, we all know there's been researchers who have been warning us about, you know, climate change, for example, and as a producer, 20 years ago. Okay. So what, what do I do about that? How do I feed my animals and, and how do I get compensated for the extra cost that that's going to cause my farm? Right. And now the research is going to look at both sides of that. So how do we do things that will help the environment, but in an efficient manner, that's going to also be, you know, economically viable because we can't, you know, we can't just have the farmers bear all the brunt of all these huge challenges that are coming, you know, and, and I won't go on too long, except to finish by saying that in my opinion, you know, the farmland and the food production is a common good. I may own my farm as an individual, but the fact that this soil is the only soil we have means that everybody has to care about that and everybody has to invest in that. And we can't just be, you know, chucking darts at all the producers saying you better take care of the soil. And I don't care what it costs you because that is just not a sustainable model. So, you know, I'm really excited for, for teams like these that we have on this call today, because I think that those are the going to be the answers that are actually move forward and provide solutions um, for industry. So, so Jolene, you touched on something that is kind of near and dear to my heart, and it's about that really our demographics. We're small, uh, we're mighty, we have somewhat limited resources, but I would say in general, you know, we've got a couple of universities who are very focused on agriculture and food production, but I think it's really the industry and the fact that we collaborate across provinces at the commodity level that really helps drive some of these things forward. So if you look at like the Atlantic Grains Council, Atlantic Dairy Research Council, Maritime Beef Council. Provincially, I know specifically in the beef industry, you know, our research budget is very limited. Yeah. But when you partner with your friends in New Brunswick and PEI and you build that pot together, then you can go and participate in bigger projects where we wouldn't be able to do that under a normal circumstance. Have you seen that change? And Goddard, I, I know you might have a little bit different perspective from the West. Uh, where there is collaboration across provinces, but it's maybe more by segment within a commodity than it is across geographic boundaries. Any comments on that and, and how research and research programs have changed that way? Absolutely. So um, it's the only way forward for us as a region. You know, when you think about the fact that Quebec has 5,000 dairy farms, for example, and we have 600 in all three maritime provinces, you know, we just can't do this stuff alone. And so I truly believe that it's the only way we're going to be able to get research done in our neighborhood is through this Atlantic collaboration. And besides the fact that we would just be doubling efforts, you know, when you when you produce commodities in New Brunswick, PEI or Nova Scotia, the problems are very similar. Like even the distribution systems are the same. We're all going to the same hubs, you know, and, and selling to the same grocery stores. And so I, it just doesn't make sense for us to be doing separately. And I know, I know that's really important to our provincial governments that we work together. You know, the struggle is provincial budgets. And so that's something that I'm really hoping we can address in the next round of CAP funding is how do we, you know, and they've done this Atlantic Innovation Fund where 
um, the Pan-Atlantic program, as we call it, where we can, we do have to draw resources in from each province. And I think that was a bit of a pilot in the last round, but going forward, I believe it's the only way. I've seen more of that, you know, as we've gone from NSAC to Dow, I've seen more interest coming out of New Brunswick and PEI in terms of how can we engage more in the research and what can we do? And organizations are also getting more regional, like Lactinet, for example, is a perfect example of, of a company that we work with, you know, both Goddard and Ashley work with. And as you see, our head offices, you know, amalgamate as well. It's just making more and more sense that we come together and do this. And even um, the budgets are an issue. It's a huge disadvantage for us to be this small when we need, you know, in most cases, 50% industry match for a lot of our research funding. And so our industry are small, so our, we may not have as much industry money. And then our government departments are usually also smaller budgets because our industry is smaller. And so that becomes a challenge because the research costs the same, whether you're working in Nova Scotia or whether you're working in Alberta. And so we really need to put our minds together to think about what investment we're going to draw to this region. You know, what's going to be our stick that's going to make some of these multinational companies say, yeah, let's do our work here. You know, and there are a lot of assets that we have in the region to do that. You know, one being our diversity, two being our, our level of educated farmers, you know, being the highest level in, in the country, uh, three being the number of post-secondary institutions we have in the region. You know, so I think we just all need to put our heads together more and say, yeah, let's figure this out because it's, to me, it's the only way. Yeah, Brad, basically, there are two points. First of all is, in order to have, like, the, your research is all validated, it's good to have multi-sites involved so that different environment, you can have a better proof for the results. And the other point is, from my perspective, we need to understand the condition that you are in, then provide a solution. But I'm trying to say that that's a reality, that you are small compared to the other parts of the country. But I'm giving two examples of the networking and collaboration, one of which is about the across the institution and the other one is about the across industry sectors. I proposed a research program for the dairy cluster call and I said, okay, I'm looking, I would like to look for the lifetime assessment of the feed efficiency and methane emission from calf to cow. Basically, I proposed that I will follow up 40 cows from the beginning until they, they call or they, they remove from the herd. So then the first comment was, 40 animal is not enough. So then I said, okay, then I need to find another institution. I reached out to my colleagues at the University of Guelph, Dr. Filippo Miglior, and I said, okay, can we add University of Guelph as a partner for this project? And you know, like the idea is good. So then, and they have more infrastructure and the equipment. So then they said, Let, let's do it. And we were able to increase the sample size from 40 animals to 240. So then where we, we submitted a proposal. And besides this one, we also able to get international collaborator for the project from USA, from Italy and New Zealand. So then what I'm trying to say that the condition that we are in, we are a small industry, but never mind to get out of the, the, the comfort zone and ask for other people to get help and expand the, the project. And the other point that I would see as a benefit for these, this region is having a, different industry sectors, but at the same time, they understand the value of the sustainability and they would like to work together. One of the tools that I need from my research program is called Greenfeed System, which is really expensive. It's about $180,000 just for one unit. So then it's really hard to find the money from one source to cover these costs. So then, and I kind of thought I was talking to the industry rep and 
the, the, the proposal that I see from the Jeff, so that I, I kind of surprised that even ship industry, we know that it's a really, really small industry, but they were willing to put money toward this collaboration. So that at that time, we are kind of supporting each other in order to have a, one ob- objective accomplished. And that's, I see this one as a good, great uh, opportunity for, for, for our region. I think that a lot of, you know, that conversation about how we're collaborating with other researchers and we're collaborating with industry, I I can't help but feel like it speaks to just the culture within agriculture as a whole. Um, I grew up on a a farm, a beef farm uh, in East Stuyak, and, you know, there there was always that sort of everybody pitch in mentality in the community. And it's something that I still see echoed when I'm doing my own research where, you know, the producers that I'm reaching out to or that I'm I'm interviewing, they're engaged and they're interested in what I'm researching, why I'm researching it outside of just the questions that I'm asking or what I'm trying to accomplish for the industry. They're wanting to know more about how they can participate and how they can help. And I think that that is also part of the benefit within the region is there is such engagement, not just from the industry associations, but from the individual producers themselves. And given that so many of our producers also have such a connection to the AC, I think that is also part of why it works with connecting with the industry and um, and really doing our research in a way that can be applicable to the farmers in the area themselves. Here's the Mercury Report brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits, and poultry all featured. Additional information, such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates, and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. For the week ended November 4th, 2022, in the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.42 per kilogram. In Ontario, base price was flat at $2.33 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $2.18 per kilogram, up 4.4 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed price Atlantic beef products remains flat at $2.96 on the rail. And in Ontario, live steer sold for $1.75, moving down 3 cents from last week. Colcat Atlantic stockyard sold for $1.02. An upward change of nine cents from last week, while rail price Atlantic beef products was flat at $1.97. Calls in Ontario averaged 83 cents, down 11 cents from last week. Good dairy bob cows between 920 pounds, Atlantic stockyards averaged $61, down $28. And good dairy beef bob calves averaged $230, up $75 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were up two cents to a price of $1.61 per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland lambs sits at $11 per kilogram and mutton sits at $6.50 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $2.53 per pound at 54 pounds. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average $2.69 per pound at 59 pounds. And 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $2.27 per pound at 71 pounds. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs average $2.62 at 73 pounds. 
Used at Atlantic Stockyards range from $50 to $125, averaging $88. And in Ontario, used average $1.55 at £138, ranging from $0.69 to $2.20. Make sure you check your association websites for additional pricing information. I'm going to switch gears maybe just a little bit and talk uh, about how we engage with industry. And, and again, I said at the outset, my perspective, working in the, the hog, sheep and, and cattle industries more specifically, I think we've had really great engagement, especially given our limited resources. I think what resources we're able to provide to some of the research teams there, whether it's Goddard or Dr. Dave Barrett, historically, we've got some really good research results that have come out of that. So great investment from our side. Let's talk a little bit about how you work with specific commodities or groups in priority setting and problems they're trying to solve. So I don't know, Jolene, if you want to start about what that, I know you guys hold regular consultations. Uh, I know that we've held some industry consultations where we brought researchers into industry meetings. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that process and if it is actually different across commodities and, and how you set those priorities? Sure thing. It's actually a... Uh something I've been working hard on <clears throat> trying to figure out how do we do this better, you know? And so the challenge comes in when I speak to producers, including those I live with at home, you know, I get this response like, well, you're, you're the researchers you tell us, right? And then, so we have to try and figure out ways where the conversation needs to be around the problems, right? Not necessarily research priorities because producers don't know what a research priority needs to be or how to flesh out a research proposal. And sometimes that's the challenge with industry-led research. I think it should be more, you know, uh, collaborative than that, right? And so I think we need to come to a table and, and we have done this with multiple industries and say, tell us your biggest problems. You know, what are the short-term problems? What are the long-term problems? And then we kind of go back to the table and figure out how we can deliver a project around that. And the other challenge is we can't do everything. So, you know, we've gotten some industries where, you know, it's difficult for them to narrow their priorities and you'll get a list of 30 priorities. And it becomes this challenge of, A, how do we focus? B, where does the money come from? And C, what's actually research and what's been done before? What's knowledge transfer? And I think that that is where we, we could spend a lot more time and effort. And I don't know, you know, whose job that is, but that's a question that I kind of have on my list of to-dos is to figure that out a little bit. Like how do we in, in these small industries provide resources that can go through some of these problems and determine where the research has already been done, right? Like some of this stuff isn't novel or new and, and that's not going to be enough to get a grant. When you write that project up as a proposal, it's not going to get funded because the reviewers are going to say that's already been done. So we need to figure out, you know, what are the pieces that we can do workshops around? That's when our extended learning unit comes in and we do training or, or maybe it's presentations or, and then what are the pieces that are actually new and novel research that we can actually, you know, write a grant proposal. And so there have been industries that have been very successful at this. And really, it's just about providing the space to communicate and inviting people on farm, you know, inviting researchers on farm to have a look. And so the blueberry industry historically has been one of our best partners for this, you know, because we've done this in tandem and they have provided funding and, and have hired what we call industry research chairs. And so those people are hired specifically to, to look at 
you know, certain projects and problems for industry. And so that relationship has just become stronger and stronger just because of a couple of champions on each side. And so having you and your role, Brad, is, is helping immensely because of what you guys have been doing as well with, with the beef industry day that you had doing exactly that, bringing industry together with researchers just to have conversations and talk about, you know, what things are important to you, where can we have some impact? And then, you know, both sides not being afraid to say, we, we don't have the resources for this specific problem in our region, who else can we go to? Who can we collaborate with? You know, and I think that's something we have to get better at as well. Uh, yeah, basically, as a researcher, I think if I would like to get more engaged with industry, for me, the, the approach would be attending different events, such as you mentioned, some of those board meetings or industry-based meetings to have a conversation with producer to see that what are the real problems. So then at that time, I'm coming back to my office and propose some, some solution for those uh, issues. And the other point is I try to uh, involve industry partners in my, my teaching activity as well, as you have been like Brad in one of my, my guest lectures. So then there's something that provides also opportunity for students to, to expand their network. And also I try to have some sort of the farm visit. So then again, that's a matter of the engagement. But there are some research program, although I would like to have my research program uh, running on the, the farm, but it's hard for producer because it's kind of interrupting their daily routine. At the same time, it's a little bit hard to validate the results. And it's a questionable result given the, the environment that they are working. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we don't need to transfer our results. Like as an example that I provided about the lifetime assessment of the feed efficiency. So then it's, a, it's impossible for a producer to track one animal from being a calf until the second lactation and measuring all of those, their feed intake and methane emission. But we can do in a research setting. So then, but at the end of the project, we try to establish some sort of the webinars or workshops so that they translate the results that we are getting. So then, this project is basically based on the main idea of the lactonet providing feed efficiency genomic evaluation for producer and the sires, basically. So then later or sooner, the, the farmer will have some sire that they already have EBV or estimated breeding value for, for feed efficiency, but they are concerned about the consequence on the other traits. So then, the, so then with that workshop and webinars, we can educate them what would be the potential consequences or what are the benefits of the selecting animal for, for feed efficiency. This is some sort of the uh, engagement approach that I'm taking. And, and so far, I'm, I'm happy with the result that I see because I see that I get more involved and I get good support from industry. That's probably because of the strategy means that they're working. Knowledge transfer, I think, is really our, a big barrier. And it's difficult when the push for research is happening and you're, and you're trying to get all of those, you know, those deliverables checked off the list, then also doing the knowledge transfer. And something that we've found is, you know, it takes more than just one go to have that, you know, that actionable change be sustained. You know, that's, that's always also a struggle because just one meeting isn't going to be enough to kind of reinforce that this change is worthwhile, particularly when it's more of a, a long-term goal rather than a short-term reward, which it, it makes it difficult to prioritize from the producer side, but also from the researcher side of where can we put our time and where are we getting that investment back? Yeah, I just want to add, Brad, like the, 
basically, uh, Ashley, Chris, and myself, and some other people from the Lactanet, we, we, we put a proposal and we are hoping to get fund for it. So then that project, it's kind of the really great example of the collaboration. We will interview 10 farmers from each province. So then, they are, then we, we, we will calculate for them feed margin or the cost and many other measurements. And we will measure methane emission from farms. So then it's a real example and better example of the collaboration between farmers and researchers. And in that way, the tech transfer is guaranteed because we will, buy, we will give back all of the results for farmers and we establish benchmark for the province by the collaboration of the farmers. We are, we are hoping to get fund on that and, and start pretty soon. I think what's great about that project as well is the producers will be receiving ongoing results from us. Every, you know, five to six weeks, they would be getting their benchmarks, they would be getting the results, and they would be able to see over the course of the 12-month study how things are changing and how the adoption is impacting their production, which, you know, it's a great great thing for us because we're able to give that proof of concept ongoing and get them established in that pilot program. And it's also great because then they can also transfer that within their own networks. Um, So we're not fully responsible for doing all of that knowledge transfer because they can do it through their informal networks, which is fantastic. And it's actually a more effective way for change to be established if it's going through peer-to-peer informal networks than from us as outsiders. So you've both brought up a couple of things that I'd like to explore just a little bit before we get ready to wrap up here. And that's that knowledge and tech transfer. And I know, again, if we look back 10 or 12 years, I think that was often an accusation against researchers um, that you're doing all this great work, but we don't know about it. Can you comment a little bit about how that approaches more recently got built into projects and how some of the technology we're using now makes that KTT a little easier to disseminate, but still do that on-farm show and tell? I think that is very valuable for producers. I know, Goddard, you, you mentioned, you know, webinars. We try to use the podcast, online fact sheets. How has that changed within those those projects and programs? Yeah, Brett. Basically... After COVID, I think that the, the communication style is fairly changed and it's a good some way, but although it, it's a challenge, like the, personally, I would like to have an in-person event, but it, it requires more effort and more kind of the investment traveling from farm to farm or gathering old people in the room and talking about that. But still, the other good point is with this, this online tools that uh, if we produce those online tools and giving webinars so that producers, they can uh, watch videos or listen to the podcast at their own time and get themselves educated while driving or doing some other, other activities. So then, I mean, that there are different ways, but the point is we are trying to offer these tech transfer in a different style so that it could be included like the workshops, seminars, webinars, or even maybe kind of the in-person event, it could be different style to, to do the tech transfer. Jolene, as someone who lives with farmers and is a farmer, have you and Lockie had those discussions about how that KTT has evolved over years? Because I know Lockie and you are very engaged with innovation projects or research projects as much as possible. Have you seen a positive change from the farmer perspective on that? 
Yeah, I think part of the change also has to be attributed to the role of extension changing in Nova Scotia. And so, you know, we used to operate where production technology out of the Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture was very well connected with the researchers and they provided that role. And so now that work is being done through Perennia. And, you know, my husband always says, poor Lockie, I always use him as the farmer example whenever I'm talking. Um, He always says, I just do what people tell me. You know, so so the, the good thing about the way we run our operation is that he didn't even come from a farm. So he doesn't come with baggage of this is the way my father did it or my grandfather did it. Or, you know, we just started fresh and we're just trying to adopt as many best management practices as we can and, and what makes sense. So in order to find those best management practices, we rely on our advisors. And so that is one step away from from the research. Right. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe that's where we need to focus some of this tech transfer effort is, is through how do producers already get their information, right? And I think that um, the use of technology is going to change that. Absolutely. He's now listening to podcasts and attending meetings while he's on the tractor, you know, auto steer, don't worry anybody. But I think that that's something we have to take advantage of. But also the fact that this advice is coming from everywhere. Right. So it, before, when we used to have our dairy specialist, that was the go to person. Now we're talking to, you know, seed salesmen and fertilizer salesmen and the people who sell semen and, and a lot of, of service providing is coming from the people we buy things from. And so the, the challenge for us will be to get our regional relevant information into the hands of those individuals, because they will be getting their knowledge from Ontario and from wherever their head office is, right, from the states or from wherever. And so, you know, to think about a change, you know, I can't necessarily say that he's seen a change with researcher engagement, because he would attribute that to being married to me. So it's a little bit of an unfair question, right? We need to ask somebody who doesn't have that, that close tie. But Personally, you know, for us making decisions, I think that that change in extension has been a huge piece. So it could be an area to explore. Again, you just brought something up and it's going to get me off track here a little bit. But (laughs) and it's just about the inundation of information we Mm -hmm. have now through the Internet and through podcasts and YouTube and fact sheets and our input suppliers who have a specific interest in profitability as well. Yep. So how do we use some of our KTT tools and our research tools to help get rid of some of the background noise and really focus on the good, true, relevant information to make those decisions or to implement a BMP? And maybe I'll turn to Ashley because this this seems like this might be really your research, and maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, when you talk about data and information and decision-making, do you have any perspective on that? Uh, Yeah, you're basically describing my PhD proposal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, right on the nail on that. As Jolene mentioned, the intermediaries are a key piece of this decision-making network, and my PhD research is focused on small dairy farms in New Brunswick, but it's cross-transferable sort of network because of the way our industry is sort of set up. But those intermediaries are really important. But as, as Jolie mentioned, and as you said, they have their own interests and they have their own sources of information. And 
you know, just going through my own search of where are all the places that we can access information from, where are they coming from, what's actually being used, how is it influencing decisions, it is to this point where there's too much. It's it's come to a point where it's an overwhelming amount, where it's just easier to ignore it. <laughs> um, and that that overwhelmingness isn't isolated to just agriculture. It's just part of the beast of this web 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever we're at. So I think there's a degree of digital literacy that needs to happen um, so that individuals are able to not only find resources, but critically evaluate those resources over whether or not they work for them, whether or not they're you know, relevant to their operation, but also whether or not it's something that is you know, provided in good faith. Is it something that's just trying to sell them this new tech item, or is it something that's actually going to be long-term beneficial to their operation? So I think that comes with a degree of digital literacy and, and being able to critically evaluate. But in that same sense, we don't want to reinforce that notion inadvertently say, just stick to with what, with what you know, um, like that baggage that Jolie mentioned, where we, we can sometimes see that in multi-generational farms where it's like, well, this is how we used to do it. So this is how we still do it because our, even our family history or our, the decisions we've made in the past influence our decisions of today, getting to a place where we're comfortable making decisions. We're comfortable with our, the information we have, and we have trusted resources and advisors within that group. And um, knowing that just because you're a business owner doesn't mean you are responsible for everything. You can ask for help and access information and figure it out and make mistakes when you're making decisions, I think is really important. And I don't know exactly how we do that. That's part of what I'm trying to figure out. I think there are options. All right, folks, we're getting really close to wrapping up. Um, just wondering what we can look for in the future from either the Dow Research Department as a whole or maybe individual research uh, programs and plans for Goddard and Ashley looking interested interested in hearing from you. So what's interesting for us at this time is that Dalhousie University uh, in general has taken, you know, an, a keen interest in food and food security and, and agriculture is a huge piece of that, obviously. And um, so we're seeing, you know, a lot of support and initiative coming from Halifax, coming from the president who himself is an Aggie. He's, he's a plant physiologist. Um, and so, you know, they're really urging us to take some major steps to do some bold things on this campus, which is exciting and scary all at the same time. So one thing um, that we're looking at is how, you know, I sat back a couple of years ago and, and just thought a little bit about how we could utilize our campus farm more. You know, that is a gem and a resource that we don't use enough of here on in Truro and in Bible Hill. And so we've we've been working a bit with um, the con the smart farm concept, and I know you'll you'll hear that you know you Google it and you see it come up, and there's smart farms popping up all across the country. We're trying to take a look at 
you know, what do we have on our smart farm in Turo and, and how can we, you know, utilize that more for industry collaborative projects. And so what I think you're going to see, you know, what we're planning on is some infrastructure improvement because our farm needs some investment. That's one thing we have to, pardon the pun, but beef up the technology. We know we need to, you know, get more in times with what's happening in, in industry, but we're also going to really look at different partnerships. So, you know, you can imagine the cost of a university to build a new barn or to invest in technology is much more than it would be for a farmer. And so I think what we're going to be looking at is partnering with these tech developers themselves and having them come to our campus and, and test their technologies with us and with producers. And so I'm really looking forward to, you know, some of that work. Yeah, basically from my perspective, the plan would be Brad, trying to get my tools in place, which are the uh, tools to measure methane emission from live animals and measuring their individual feed intake. In the last two years or so, I was just more spending time on the idea generation and writing proposal. And hopefully this is a time to harvest and get some funding and uh, keep research going on. And hopefully in the next year or so, you will get more kind of the take transfer materials from my side about management strategies to, to mitigate the methane emission and also improve the sustainability and make industry more profitable. And in terms of what's happening with the assess research team, two years ago, it was just me, but largely thanks to the help of Jolene, uh, who is definitely pushing us along. We've expanded now this summer. I think there's seven students working with Chris and I, and uh, we've got other collaborators now within campus, but also within our campus, but as well as the Halifax main campus and some of the other institutions in Nova Scotia. We're working in the dairy industry, the beef sector, just recently started a hog project, got some consumer preferences, work on the way, some social media discourse that we've been working on. So we've got We've got a lot happening and it seems like there's there's no shortage of work to to be done, which is very exciting, especially since I'm hoping to finish my PhD next year and uh, I'm going to need a job. So uh, that's always that's a good sign for me. We're very busy. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks very much, folks. I, I've definitely I think I've taken enough time of yours this morning. If our listeners want to learn more about you or your research programs, uh, how do they find you and reach out to you? I believe all of our contact information is on the Department of Business and Social Science website uh, through Dalhousie. Yeah, just my information is available through the Dalhousie University, just the Googling Dal and my last name. So then the, the first link, hopefully, will be pop up instead of what, uh, my, my information contact information. And for me, I guess I am difficult to find online. I'm kind of an anomaly there. So I... <laughs> I think all you have to do is, you know, if you're really stuck and you don't have a contact, you can just search the Dalhousie Faculty of Agriculture website and pick up the phone and that will get you to someone who can guide you through the process. That's probably the easiest thing to do if you, you can't think of the name right off the top of your head or can't remember the email. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for being with us today, folks. I think through our conversations, we've probably got a couple more of episodes that we can focus on in the future. So looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks so thanks much, so much. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Acast. 
We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes. <laughs>